please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I am sure you will remember that two weeks ago, in the last installment of this Cloister Walk sermon series, we looked at the city of Jerusalem, which is, of course, the most beloved and treasure, and for that very reason, also the most disputed city in human history. For Jews, Christians, and Muslims, Jerusalem is the center of the earth. That's the way it's always pictured on ancient maps. All the earth revolves around Jerusalem. Ask Sylvie to show you her map. It is God's capital city. Now today we're dealing with a very different kind of place. Nazareth is anything but the center of the earth. Nazareth was a hick town in the sticks of an obscure corner of the Roman Empire. If you needed directions to Nazareth in Jesus' day, you'd be out of luck because almost no one could tell you how to get there. It might not even have been on whatever passed for Google Maps in the first century. Nazareth was legendary for its invisibility. It's never mentioned in the Hebrew Bible nor anywhere else in ancient literature outside the New Testament and is not mentioned until the third century A.D., by which time, of course, a certain famous resident carpenter had made it famous. In Jesus' day, the footprint of Nazareth covered about 60 acres, or about a little less than a square mile, one-fourth the size of Kenilworth. In Jesus' day, the population was 500, almost all of them tenant farmers who tended a few acres of wheat or grapes on land owned by someone else, or shepherds, or shopkeeps, and at least one carpenter. When you get home, Google a painting called Christ in the House of His Parents by John Everett Millay, mid-19th century. Joseph is showing Jesus how to plane the timber of a door to a high sheen. All around the shop, are the tools of a carpenter's trade, posts and beams and spikes and nails. And the artist seems to be saying that one day too soon, Jesus' enemies will use the tools of his trade to take his life from him. If you haven't been to Nazareth and are unlikely to go, that's how I wish you to picture it. Jesus hammering bookshelves together as an apprentice in his father's shop. 60 acres, 500 folk, not on any maps. Well, then Nazareth was legendary for its inconspicuousness. And so, of course, that's the backdrop for our first gospel lesson this morning. Like King Arthur and Robin Hood after him, Jesus is beginning to call together his Knights of the Round Table or his little merry band of merry men. Andrew, Peter, and Philip are the first to notice something radically different about this extraordinary rabbi from Nazareth. Philip runs to find his friend Nathaniel, and almost out of breath, Philip tells Nathaniel, we found the one promised by Moses and the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathaniel is underwhelmed. Nathaniel, see, is an intellectual. He's sophisticated. He's world-weary. He is distrustful 
of extravagant religious claims. As Stuart Scott might have put it on ESPN, Nathaniel is as cool as the other side of the pillow. He's heard it all and he's not about to be taken in by the latest televangelist who comes down the pike, especially if it's a blue-collar working stiff in army boots and tool belt from the hick town of Nazareth. Nathaniel, you see, is from Cana, another hick town just down the road from the Nazareth. Cana is the next stop on the expressway from Nazareth, so Nathaniel knows all about hick towns. He hates this about himself, that he's from Cana and not Athens or Jerusalem, that his college degree is from DuPage rather than Dartmouth or Duke. And when Philip says, we have found the Messiah promised by Moses and the prophets, Jesus from Nazareth, Nathaniel responds with a legendary verbal sneer, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I love the way Philip responds to Nathaniel's insult to every Nazarene who's ever lived. No visible hurt, no audible anger, no disappointment. Philip stays in his chair, as they say, and responds calmly. Come and see, is all he says. Try it out. Give it a whirl. Take it for a test drive. It's the finest even evangelistic intervention that was ever spoken. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. So that story about the early days of Jesus' ministry comes from St. John. Luke also has a story about Nazareth from the earliest days of Jesus' ministry. After hanging out in the big city of Jerusalem during the early years of his adulthood, Jesus finally returns to his hometown to preach his first sermon in his hometown synagogue to his family and friends and neighbors and Sunday school teachers. His text is from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he snaps the scroll shut announces to the stunned congregation, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and sits down. The shortest sermon in living memory. But his chutzpah enrages his family and friends. They're so mad they try to throw him off a cliff. If you've ever been to Nazareth, you know that at the precipice of a steep ridge in that small town, is a little chapel called the Church of Our Lady of the Fright. Isn't that wonderful? The Church of Our Lady of the Fright. Sometimes it's just called Mary's Fear or Notre Dame de la Foi. Our Lady of the Fright. It's the place where Mary's heart was struck with terror when she thought her neighbors were trying to kill her son. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, says Nathaniel. Come and see, says Philip. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, says Jesus. Do you think Nathaniel got an answer to his sneering question in the ensuing years? as he 
tagged along behind Jesus with his little band of merry men across the Palestinian countryside, watching Jesus turn water into wine and the lad's little lunch into a lavish banquet for 5,000 and touch a leper and speak truth to power and hang out with crooks and prostitutes and make blind men see and lame beggars walk. Do you think he got an answer to his question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So, let's learn this lesson from that little stone mortared into our cloister walk, standing for Nazareth. Let's learn what God can do with modest raw materials, what God can do with almost invisible places and unassuming folk and quiet beginnings and unsung but hugely significant deeds. I'll bet you $100 that God chose Nazareth as the Messiah's hometown, not despite its legendary invisibility, but precisely because of its insignificance. God wants to show us what God can do without us. So maybe sometimes some of you think that you're from Nazareth. Maybe you've never been west of the Mississippi. Maybe you have an associate's degree from community college and are surrounded by all these MBAs from Kellogg. Maybe you've never earned a six-figure salary. Maybe you've never won the French Open or the Triple Crown or the Stanley Cup. Maybe you've never had a battalion of employees waiting breathlessly for your wise word of leadership. So what? You are God's hands and feet and voice and heart in this world, and you have no right to diminish your impact by underestimating your significance. How many times have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? Probably every Christmas, right? George Bailey thinks that he is a small, invisible, quiet failure. He's dreamed of seeing the seven seas and the seven continents and the seven wonders of the earth. He's never been outside of Bedford Falls. He dreams of creating soaring bridges and towering skyscrapers. And here he is tending this penny-ante building and loan. And he asks himself, can anything good come out of Bedford Falls? And then Clarence, the second-class angel, comes along and says, George, you've been given a great gift the chance to see what the world would look like without you. I'll bet if a lot of us had the chance to see what the world would look like without us, we'd find that it would look a lot shabbier without us. Never diminish your impact by underestimating your significance, or the significance of those around you. Maybe your self-regard is not deficient, but excessive. Maybe you're Nathaniel, and you think you are surrounded by all these small-town Nazarenes. Don't make that mistake. You know that rookie analyst who hangs out on the edges of the conference room at work and never says a word? You take him to the country club to play golf with clients, and he doesn't know which end of the club to hold. He's the one that's going to invent an investment logarithm that will help you smash the competition. 
or that awkward eighth grader who sticks to herself and skips all the games and dances and has no visible friendships, she's the one who will one day find a replacement for fossil fuels. Wherever she went, Maya Angelou would talk about her Uncle Willie, who ran a tiny grocery store in the small town of Stamps, Arkansas. Uncle Willie was paralyzed on the left side of his body and walked all his life with a severe limp. He had a speech impediment. He'd left stamps only twice in his lifetime, once to go to Little Rock and a second time to visit his sister in California. And when Uncle Willie died, Maya Angelou flew to Little Rock and walked into the office of the Little Rock vice mayor, Mr. Bussey. And Mr. Bussey says to Maya Angelou, the state of Arkansas has lost a great man. The United States has lost a great man. The world has lost a great man. Maya Angelou says, my Uncle Willie? Mr. Bussey says, I am what I am because of Uncle Willie. He taught me how to read. So, returning the favor, Mr. Bussey gives Maya Angelou a police escort from Little Rock to Stamps so that she can attend Uncle Willie's funeral. She says, dead, he was still protecting me. And when she gets to Stamps, an Arkansas state legislator shakes her hand and says, your Uncle Willie was a great man because of Mr. Bussey. I am what I am today. And Maya Angelou says, all this because of a man who said nothing else in his life except God is my salvation and love is the rock upon which I stand. By the way, this is neither here nor there, but today the population of Nazareth is about 80,000 and is home to many high-tech firms. Sometimes Nazareth is called the Silicon Valley of Arabic Israel. But when you think about Nazareth, remember that little carpenter shop, Joseph the master craftsman, and Jesus the apprentice. And notice how the tools of the carpenter trade bookend the story of Jesus' life. At the beginning, beams of wood and nails of iron at the end, beams of wood and nails of iron. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.